Uh, Let's pray as we come to hear God's word preached. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity, uh, even in lockdown, to hear your word. And Father, we pray that you would speak uh, as powerfully as you ever would uh, through your word as we look at this psalm and as we look uh, through it to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray you do that mighty work in us of transformation uh, as we want to live our lives uh, to glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hello everyone. Uh, My name's David, as Roger said, Uh, and over the next three weeks we're going to be uh, looking at the gospel according to David. Of course, uh, not me, not my gospel, uh, but the gospel according to King David in the Psalms. Uh, And particularly, these are Psalms that are picked up in the New Testament uh, to explain the gospel of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the book of Psalms. Uh, It's probably my favourite book of the Bible to read uh, because it's just this treasure chest of of truth and of joy. Uh, The Psalms, of course, are these prayer songs um, sung by God's people, sung by God's people Israel, and uh, they engage engage the head and the heart. Uh, They help us to uh, think rightly about God, but also to feel rightly about God as well. And they teach us how to pray to God and live for God uh, with all our mind and heart. So it's a fantastic book of the Bible. Uh, And King David, he wrote a lot of the Psalms, probably uh, at least 73 of the 150 were written uh, by King David. And as we saw in our series on the Bible uh, just the last few weeks, uh, David's words are God's words. David spoke from God as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And although the psalm had a meaning for his own time, uh, he also was preaching the gospel ahead of time, pointing forward to Jesus who fulfilled it. Now that's why Jesus said at the end of Luke's gospel, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the psalms. Now that's why Jesus and the New Testament writers uh, loved to quote the psalms. And this psalm in particular was was quoted or referenced in the New Testament uh, more than any other psalm. And so the question for us today is, uh, what is it about this psalm uh, that makes it so important for understanding the gospel of Jesus? And that's what we're going to look at today uh, as we we go through. But to get there, first, uh, we need to understand uh, what it meant for David to write this psalm and for Israel to sing it. Uh, Also, what it meant to Jesus and his apostles. Uh, And then finally, what it means for us, uh, the church today, to sing this psalm. And so as we get into the psalm, you'll see the main subject is uh, this king. Uh, We're going to look at it in two parts. Uh, So the first part is verses 1 to 3 and the conquering king. If you've got your Bibles there, open to Psalm 110 and we'll just be going through uh, verse by verse. Uh, So this psalm begins with God speaking to his king. And that is unusual because David was the king of Israel. But we see here, God is not speaking to David, but to David's Lord, David's king. So verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So God says to this king, sit at my right hand, and of course that is a a symbolic place of power and authority and honour, 
Uh, and he says to sit there until he makes his enemies his footstool. And so who are God's enemies? Well, at the time of David, uh, there was lots of enemies around Israel and they were always fighting against Israel and their land. Uh, but more broadly speaking, uh, these enemies uh, represent uh, an entire human race uh, who is an enemy of God. You know, ever since the Garden of Eden, uh, we have not wanted God to rule over us as a human race. We don't want God to tell us how to live our lives. And so we are constantly fighting against his rule uh, to do that in our lives. And so this psalm then tells us what happens to God's enemies. No matter how much they fight against him, uh, they will be defeated. And so we see as the psalm goes on that God and his king are united in this conquest. Uh, so verse 2, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying rule in the midst of your enemies. And so Zion here, that is the city of David in Jerusalem, uh, and that is where the king is, uh, that is where God is said to dwell on the earth. And here, God is promising to rule through the king in Zion. Uh, it is like God's power is running through the king's scepter as he commands and rules. And they are united in this. And you'll see here, uh, as, he, as he extends his scepter, what is he doing? Well, he is commanding this mighty army in verse 3. It says there, your troops will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy splendour. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning womb. All right, so picture this great army, right? They are holy like God is holy uh, and they are young, they are strong in the strength of their youth. Uh, but best of all, this is a willing army. Uh, these are not uh, people who have been conscripted uh, to join the army and been forced to. Uh, these, this is an army that comes willingly and they come gladly to serve and to fight for the king. Uh, it brings to my mind uh, that great movie Braveheart and William Wallace, uh, you know, an army that is inspired uh, by the greatness of their king or their leader, uh, an army that comes willingly uh, to fight for a great cause. And they come freely and they come to fight with all their heart. And so we have in this picture, at the beginning of this psalm, uh, God's conquering king, uh, this unstoppable force that is going to conquer and rule over all his enemies. Uh, but there's more to the picture. Uh, God then says that this king is also a priest. As we go on, we see the conquering king is also an eternal priest. Uh, so in Israel, uh, back Old Testament times, uh, kings and priests were separate. Uh, kings came from the line of, of, of David and the tribe of Judah, and the priests came from the tribe of Levi, and they were Levites. Um, but what we see here is the two of them united in the one person. And so God says to the king in verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so that, you know, what does that mean? Right? What, what is Melchizedek? Right? Right? No one calls their kid Melchizedek. It's not this famous Bible name. What is going on here? 
Um, Well, Melchizedek, he pops up in Genesis chapter 14 when Abraham is returning from a battle. uh, He meets this this mystery man, really. Uh, And it tells us in Genesis 14 that Melchizedek is king of Salem, which is short for Jerusalem, uh, and he is priest of God Most High. And so, you know, if you've been reading the Bible, you know Abraham is great in God's plans. Uh, But here Abraham uh, comes to Melchizedek and Melchizedek blesses Abraham, not the other way around. And then Abraham uh, gives a gift to Melchizedek uh, to honour him, not the other way around. And so this shows us that that somehow Melchizedek is is greater than Abraham uh, and greater than any priest that Israel has ever had since. And then the king in Psalm 10, as we come back to that, the king in Psalm 10 is a priest like Melchizedek. Uh, He is greater. And mainly because he is a priest forever. His work doesn't end when he does, you know, when he retires or when he dies. Uh, He is a priest without beginning or end. Uh, He is an eternal priest. uh, And so he is great. And so then the psalm, it, it goes on and it finishes with the conquest of this king uh, as he leads his army into battle. Verse 5 and 6. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. And then it's as if the psalm ends mid-battle in verse 7 uh, as this king stops to have a drink says, he will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. And right, this is showing us um, something really important. It's that, you know, victory is assured, but the battle is not over. You know, this is like, the, you know, the halftime oranges in a game of footy uh, before you head out for the second half. Except here, uh, even though it's halftime, the game is not in doubt. Uh, the end is certain. Uh, kind of like New South Wales versus Queensland, the game is pretty much over at halftime. Right, it's not even close. You know, in the end, this psalm is telling us, God's king will conquer and rule over his enemies forever. And so what did it mean for Israel to sing this song? You see, the promise uh, of this king and priest, it it just proved far too big uh, for any single person in in Israel. Uh, All the kings failed to live up to the expectation, even David. And Israel was eventually defeated by their enemies and the line of kings upon the throne ended with the exile. But this psalm lived on. Uh, This psalm was sung and lived on as an expression of hope in this promised king. As Israel waited for this one who was to come, uh, this great king and priest who would actually fulfill the shoes uh, of this great promise. And then he finally came. Uh, Jesus was this king and priest. And that is why this psalm uh, became so significant uh, for the writers of the New Testament. uh, Because it really helped to explain uh, the gospel of Jesus. And so what did this psalm mean to uh, Jesus and the apostles? Uh, Well, we see Jesus quoting it in the Gospels. 
Uh, he, would, he would quote it to people who doubted that he was this king. Um, and really, uh, to, he quoted it to show that the king uh, could be, at the same time, David's son, uh, as well as someone who is greater than David. Uh, the people didn't know how that could be, so Jesus used this psalm to show them uh, that was the case. So in Matthew 22, in Mark chapter 12, in Luke 20, uh, Jesus quotes this psalm, leaves them uh, to think it through, uh, but then his apostles are writing about Jesus, and uh, they clearly spelled it out for us, what this means. So Paul, in, in the beginning of Romans, says, uh, Jesus, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, uh, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God, in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus was both the son of David and the son of God. He was God and man in one person. And Jesus used this psalm uh, to point people in that direction. Uh, then we come to Hebrews, which we read today. And the author of the Hebrews uses this psalm to show how Jesus is uh, that priest that was promised. And so he does this over chapters and chapters. It's really worth a read. It's, it's fantastic and fascinating to read. Uh, but he says this in Hebrews 5, 5 and 6. He says, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so then in Hebrews, he goes on to show how Jesus, our priest, uh, in his sinless perfection, sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins and by his, by his death and resurrection, uh, he became the source of eternal salvation for everyone who believes in him. And then he says, we can draw near to God now with full assurance of faith uh, because Jesus is our great king and priest. And, you know, this psalm is, is wonderful because not only does it explain Jesus then and who he was, uh, but it explains him now and what he is doing now. Uh, you know, because Jesus' work, it, it didn't finish at the cross. Uh, he's not just in heaven twiddling his thumbs, waiting to come again. Uh, the cross was like Jesus' enthronement as king uh, for him to rule and reign. And so we see that as we go through the New Testament, um, this psalm being referenced. So Hebrews 1.3 tells us, after Jesus has provided purification for sins or his death on the cross, uh, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And then like the psalm, we see that Jesus is now in heaven reigning in power. So 1 Peter, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. And then Paul tells us that he will reign until uh, he conquers all his enemies in Corinthians. Paul says, for Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so Jesus now, right now, uh, is like the, the king at the end of that psalm, drinking from the brook. Right? Victory is sure, uh, but the battle continues. Right? Jesus is risen and reigning and he is conquering, uh, but we don't yet see all his enemies uh, submitting to his authority. Uh, it made me think of the end of The Lord of the Rings. 
Um, and, and not the movie, but the book. The book has some, a better ending, I think. Um, there is this great part that, that after the ring has been destroyed and, and Aragon, uh, the great king, has been crowned and on his throne, uh, the hobbits, uh, who have been on this great journey, uh, they return to the Shire to find it overrun with evil still. You know, even though those dark powers of Mordor have been defeated, uh, there is still work to be done. Right, the rule of the king now has to spread to every corner uh, of the land. And so the hobbits go back and they fight uh, to overcome the evil uh, in their homes. And that's something like the time that we live in. Uh, Jesus uh, has won that decisive victory over sin and death and Satan and hell. Uh, He has risen as king. He's seated on his throne, uh, but the battle continues. And so then what does it mean for us, uh, the church, to sing this psalm today? I think this psalm really, it opens us up to that reality uh, that we don't really think about too much. Uh, It's a reality that that many people wouldn't even say is real. uh, And many Christians don't really live as if it is real. Because this is a reality that's, that's really hidden from our eyes. Uh, it doesn't look like we're in a battle right now. Um, you know, our lives are quite peaceful and quiet, especially the next two weeks. Uh, it's going to be very quiet. Uh, but this psalm speaks of that unseen reality um, that is all around us in this time that we live. You know, as Paul says to the Ephesians, Uh, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is a reality we need to be reminded of constantly. Uh, It's something that we uh, are reminded of in our baptism. When someone becomes a Christian and they are baptised in the name of Jesus or confirmed in that baptism... Uh, these are some of the things that we say in that service. So we'll be up on the screen here. Uh, it says, those who are to be baptised must declare their allegiance to Christ and their rejection of all that is evil, the devil and all his works, the empty display and false values of the world and the sinful desires of the flesh. Uh, then later on in the service, uh, we are encouraged to uh, fight bravely under Jesus' banner against sin the world and the devil and continue Christ's faithful soldier and servant to your life's end. You see, we make these promises in our baptism but we never really think about them again after that. But right, to sing this psalm today, Psalm 110, uh, is to understand the reality of our time uh, and to join King Jesus in his fight And so what does that mean for us today? Well, firstly, it means make sure that you are not fighting against Jesus. Uh, Make sure you are not one of his enemies. And right, we all start out that way. We all start out wanting to live life our own way without him, uh, be ruler of our own life. Uh, Make sure you are not doing that because that is a losing battle. Uh, That way ends in death. And so secondly... Uh, turn from that way, Uh, believe in Jesus and become a a willing member of his army, right? This is what Jesus died for. 
Uh, And this is what he lives for today, for people to come to him, uh, the source of eternal salvation uh, and receive forgiveness and life in his name. And so come to Jesus. And then thirdly, fight the good fight in Jesus' name. Uh, And this is not a fight to, you know, conquer lands or governments or the media or anything like that. Uh, But it is a fight to conquer souls. Uh, It is a fight to win people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, to spread the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, uh, to preach the good news Uh, So people can hear it uh, and they can repent and believe and receive forgiveness. And then wonderfully, people can go from that that postcode of hell and being an enemy of God uh, to that postcode of heaven and being his child and friend forever. That is good news. Uh, But also you'll know it's, it's a personal fight as well. It's a fight that we have in our own hearts, our own minds, our own lives. Uh, It is a fight against the remaining sin in your life uh, to keep putting it to death. It's a fight against our world and the discipleship program of our world. You know, it's a fight not to be conformed to the world and the patterns of the world, uh, but to continue to be transformed, uh, to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a fight against uh, those unseen evil forces, against Satan, And all that is evil, uh, those things behind the scenes, uh, they are always fighting against us. And so it is a fight to to pray, uh, to pray for strength, to resist those forces and to stand firm in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, this reality is something we need to be reminded of constantly. Uh, And thankfully, God keeps doing that for us. Uh, If we keep reading his word, he will keep reminding us of this reality uh, and equipping us to stand firm. And so one example is Paul has these wonderful verses in Romans 13. Uh, Paul says, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Uh, This psalm opens up to us uh, the most important reality of our time. Uh, And so will you join in singing this psalm? Will you confess Jesus as your great King and Priest, uh, who who is risen at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning in power until all his enemies have been defeated? Uh, Will you confess him as your Lord? And then will you join him in the fight uh, until he comes again? Will you give yourself to him willingly, fight bravely under his banner, uh, making disciples, fighting sin, until your life's end? Uh, Will you do that? Will you sing this psalm with the Lord Jesus? Uh, If you'd like to do that, Uh, commit yourself to doing that. I'm going to say a prayer now based on this psalm. Uh, Would you join in the Amen with me as we seek to honour our Lord Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, seated upon your throne in great power, we praise you. We see our Lord Jesus Christ, our King and Priest, risen and reigning at your right hand 
the source of eternal salvation for all who believe. And we thank you for the confidence we have that sin and death have been defeated and victory is sure. We thank you for saving us and pray in these last days you would open our eyes to the reality of the time we live in and make us willing soldiers in your army to join you in the fight to make disciples of all nations. And we pray you would deliver us from darkness and equip us with the armour of light that we might serve as faithful soldiers to our life's end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.